safely home. Now as your church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father in heaven, still our hearts all the more to come before you in full reverence, in full awe, and full need and desire for you. We gather here, Father, as your people because we believe in your name and we believe in your power. We believe that you are king and to be bow before you is only right. To come before you for all reasons. Laying ourselves as your, at your feet. Knowing that our king and father in heaven sees us knows us, loves us. Father, we are reminded tonight it is such a gift to be able to praise your name. It is something that can easily be taken advantage of. Look past. Father, would we never forget how precious it is to be able to spend time with you publicly. So, Father, as we are here, as our thoughts of the weak and the world settle, would we focus on your goodness? There is much darkness that surrounds us. There is much darkness in this world, and if we're honest, there is darkness in our hearts. But, Father, you are light. You are holy, and you are righteous. So we come before you now to experience your goodness and your grace beyond all measure. So, Father, have your way with all of us tonight. Have your way in our hearts. And as we sang, your will be done. We pray this in your name. Amen. The scripture today is 1 Timothy 5, 17, and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul seems to use this language to, to showcase the hard work that is being done. It, he uses the word labor, and we're going to look at that Greek word a little bit more. I'm going to pray one more time. Walk us through these two verses. Father, you see my heart. And as a preacher teacher... To stand before my brothers and sisters and my friends tonight and to take apart a text like this, I know that I struggle in many ways. Because in some ways, it's talking about me. But I know in the greater way, this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with the gospel and the glory of God. These scriptures are put in here for us to function as a family because this is not about a pastor singular. This is about the word of God and the men that we decide as a church ohana to affirm into this role. And we as a family are to care well for the elders who are going to care well for our souls by laboring in preaching and teaching and leading well. So... With that, you see my heart, and I will unashamedly teach this to my beloved family and to my own soul. Because I think if there's anyone that needs to hear this most, it is my heart first. And I thank you for ruining my heart and wrecking and cutting me with such a text. And, and I pray that as this ox has worked and labored on this, much would come from this for your glory. 
I love my brothers and sisters here. And I hear John 21, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And that's what I hope and pray will happen tonight. Feed all of us, King Jesus. You are the great shepherd and we are the sheep. In your name we pray. Amen. So I confessed a little in my prayer. Um, I thought that the hardest message I was going to teach in 1 Timothy was 1 Timothy 2, 11, where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach, but to learn quietly, right? And if you're hearing that for the first time and you're like, wait, what? Then go back and find that in the Spotify and listen to that message. I thought when I decided 1 Timothy, I'm going to preach to 1 Timothy, the hardest text I'll probably have to handle is that one. And the reason why I think I thought that was because I already had predetermined in my mind that when we get to chapter 5, I'm going to ask a pastor friend to come in and teach on this for me. And I had settled on that all through this study. Two weeks ago, I was sitting on my porch, and I thought, I'm not going to preach this text. I'm not going to preach about paying pastors. So I'm going to have, um, I already had the guy lined up and ready. I told him, wait in advance. And so I was like, but, you know, I should read this text for myself to just, you know, reflect on it. And as I'm reflecting on the text, the Spirit of God says, you know, and this is how he spoke to me in my mind, you know, the reason why churches have a, have a real, they struggle with this particular doctrine, like paying your pastor, caring for your pastors. You know why it's so hard, buddy, is because pastors don't teach it well. It's, it's because pastors neglect this part of the scripture. They don't want to talk about money. And they don't want to talk about money that has to do with them. And I'm like, oh. And so I believe the Holy Spirit said, you teach it. Because you need to learn it. And Paul was not afraid to talk about it. He didn't want Timothy to be afraid to talk about it. And so I don't want to be afraid to talk about it. And I'm just being really open and honest with you guys. Because I love you. Because at the outset... It might feel awkward for a pastor to talk about how to pay your pastor. But again, like I prayed, it's not about me. This text, that, that's a very constipated way to read your Bible. This has to do with me. This is not about Chris. It is not about Bob. It is not about Johnny. It is not even about New One Baptist Church's pastors. It will, it will relate to us because we are elders. But this, top down, the whole book, the whole Bible is about God. It's about his glory. It's about his word that came to man that needs to be delivered. And if the word of God is not preached well, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ and nobody can be saved. We have to see these things big first down. Before we get into the details of how should we pay our pastors, is it biblical, how much should, how much should we not, we have to see the heart. Why does God care about this so much? The way we looked at the heart of why God cares about widows. Why does God care about the pastorate? Why does he want the church to know how to care for their pastors? My argument tonight that I hope to teach all of us, myself included, is that the Bible is teaching us that we are called to care well for the elders who are caring well for our souls. And the primary way a pastor is to care for the souls, we're going to see in the text, is their work in preaching and teaching. So, that's what we're looking at tonight, and that's why I'm sitting here and not another pastor. I was, I was planning to sit down there and just be like, okay. Go ahead, bro. Teach the church how to pay me. And that was wrong. That is not what it's about. It's easy. To th- you know, I'm just being honest with you guys. And, and, and quite frankly, that happens a lot in a lot of churches. So, no problem for Paul. No problem for Timothy. I pray no problem for me. So, let's go. Let's pick it up. Right, out, right before this, the letter, Caring for Widows. Right? Um, Just give you some grammatical points. Look in verse 9. Let a widow. And so now he's shifting gears. Verse 17. Let the elders. This is family talk. Let the elders. Who are the elders? Church. What's another word for that? Mm -hmm. Not deacons. Pastors. That's right. Correct. Pastors. 
overseers, right? Look back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We talked about that, elders and then deacons. So he's specifically talking about the office of pastor, presbyteros, that the elders and pastors, when you think of pastors, what do you think of? Christ-like character, right? These guys who are caring for the flocks rule, big word. Lauren picked up on this, ruling well. Let's break, let's break this apart. Proistemi, to be over, that's the word rule, or to maintain, to guide, to direct. It's another word of leadership. Let the elders, let the pastors who are leading, now here's the word well, I love this word well, kalos, beautiful. Beautiful leadership, excellently. It's, it's a word of skillfully and nobly commendable. Like, you know when someone does something so well, you just say, that was beautiful. Now he's saying, the elders who lead beautifully, lead well. King Saul was king of Israel, and he didn't lead so well. David was not the king of Israel, and he had men who would follow him heart and soul. You see that? You remember that in those stories? Jonathan was like, I'm with you heart and soul. David had his mighty men, and he was not even the king. Meaning, it's possible to, be, to have a title and still not lead beautifully. Just want to point that out. Because why would Paul need to say, no, let the elders who rule well. Because it's possible to be an elder and not rule well. I started teaching the Bible at age 17. I was in church leadership at age 19. I was bivocational ministry at age 21. By my mid-20s, I was full-time ministry. And I will be honest and tell you, I did not always lead well. Especially in my younger years. I had a soccer coach once who admittedly told us, first day at practice, I never played soccer one day in my life. But boys, I didn't play basketball. And from that day forward, all of us who played soccer, who really knew how to play soccer, no respect, even though he had the title coach. He's a great guy. We had fun with him. He was really fun. But when it came to coaching us in soccer, he did not rule well. He was making us do shuttle runs and random basketball drills with our feet. And I'm just like, coach? Coach, you know, like, but anyway, I just want to make that point. Ruling well is important here. Leading well, beautifully, it does take time to learn. It is a gift. It's a gift that needs to be worked on and labored in. Understand this. Good leadership is a labor of love. It's a labor of love. Any one of us, whether it's in ministry or not, who wants to rule well, you need to understand leadership is a labor of love. It's a love for God and others. It's what drives a good leader, a ruling well leader, to learn the skills and hone in the abilities so that he or she can better be a servant to the ones they're leading. Hard work that flows from a big heart. That's good leadership. And leadership, honestly, any of us who are leaders... Whether it's in the workplace, at home, it's hard, right? It's hard. Whether it's in ministry, you're a Sunday school leader. You're a, we're praying for leaders this month. How timely is this? To learn to lead well, it first, first requirement is love. And then labor. I never lunged at leadership positions. Growing up in grade school, when I was in Punahou, I was a very passive kid. I intentionally sat next to students that I thought would be good leaders because I hoped that during project time I get paired up with them. So in English class, I sat behind Allegra. And then in Latin, I sat next to Arnold. And sure enough, when it came time for projects, I was paired up with Allegra and Arnold. And I had no problem being like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You lead. I always, my disposition was normally passive. The first leadership role I ever was kind of pushed into was sports. I was team captain. And then here I am today. And I already told you, I can, my mind runs through. I was so convicted by this verse because when I first read it, my first thought wasn't like, oh, yeah, you, you rule pretty well. 
you're a good leader. No, my first thought was like, I am a young and experienced leader, and there's so much more I want to learn. I hope my leadership has grown over time. But I want us to talk about this a little bit before we race on to the preaching and teaching, because Paul says, these are the ones who are to be considered or thought of worthy of double honor. The ones who are leading well. So we need to define, what does that mean to rule well? Because what does that mean to be a good leader as a pastor? What, 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 what might you answer? What might people answer today? What's a good leader in the pastorate? Someone that draws a crowd? Someone that's kind of just punches out results. They can get things done really efficiently. That's a good leader? Maybe. But let's not just think of opinions and our thoughts. Like, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible define as good leadership? Because this is important. These are the men that are going to be considered worthy, deserving of double honor, which two in its definition is this. It is a word of respect. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love. I love that. Because of their work. So, Pastor Bob, Pastor Johnny, when you see them, respect them. Because of their work and what they're called to do. When you see a pastor at any other church... Show respect. Be charitable. Be kind. Be reverent because of their work and the high holy calling it is. But this also is a financial term. Why I believe that is so? Well, right before this, when he was talking about the widows, look at the rhythm. Honor the widows. Elders, double honor. And then masters later, all honor. It's where we get the, the, the term honorarium, right? If I had a guest preacher come and speak this message tonight, we would happily give him a payment to show double honor. Thank you for your time, brother, and your work. So it is a term of finance, finances, and we see that naturally in the text here. Paul goes there. Workers worth his wage. So this double honor is a term of respect, but it is also a term of financial payment, compensation. So, quickly, what is ruling well? What's beautiful leadership look like? Well, I want to use a couple verses just to first define what beautiful leadership is not. One is do-it-yourself leadership. Exodus 18, verses 13 to 17. You guys familiar with that story? I didn't see any head nods, so turn there. Exodus 18. We don't turn too much, and I had a recent conviction. Wednesday night, turn a little bit more. Okay. Exodus 18. Exodus 18. Or you can look on the screen because Tani back there is tech savvy. Exodus 18. I liked, this is a cool story. Exodus 18, picking it up at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. We're talking about what is beautiful leadership, and it's not do it yourself. Verse 14, Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing for all the people, and he said, what is this that you're doing for all the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. He's pastoring them. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said, what you doing is not good. I love that. He said it just like that with that kind of pigeon. And, and you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing's too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I'll give you some advice. Good father-in-law. 
and good and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, here's the advice, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy. Notice that, men who have character, they hate bribes. Place such men over people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they bring to you, but the small matters they decide amongst themselves. So it will be easier for you... And they will bear the burden with you. I love that. If you do this, Moses, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all the people also will go to their place in peace. You see the advice from father-in-law? And I love that Moses models humility. He takes advice. He's not the kind of leader that says, no, 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 I got this. I'm going to do it my way. Thanks, pop. He takes advice. And he takes advice from his in-laws. Just throwing it out there. Take advice. Learn to receive advice. This is good. Moses models this. Meekest man in the world. But what was the advice? Moses, no lead alone. It's not a solo show. I've seen enough of solo show in my life. And it's true. We don't all leave in peace. We're wearied out. Pastors get burnt out because they try to do it all alone. Men in the room, I love you. I love you guys so much, especially because I know that I feel like even here tonight, much of us here, all the men, you guys here, we do this together. We're not doing this alone. So he's saying, no, raise up leaders. So beautiful leadership isn't a guy. Don't think, oh, this pastor can do everything. Let's hire him. He can do the worship. He can do the preaching. I mean, he's so funny. He can do the announcements. And have you seen his, his, his house? It's spick and span. He might as well do decorations. Hire him. Yes, New One Baptist Church, please, we want you. Be our pastor. Do it all. If we think like this, God's word is against us. That's not wise. That's not beautiful leadership. Second thing. Beautiful leadership is not domineering leadership. Flip to the opposite side of your Bible. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. No do-it-yourself leadership. That's not beautiful. Beautiful leadership is hum- humility and, and getting others to get involved. Helping other, other leaders rise up. That's beautiful leadership. Here's what's not beautiful leadership. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 5. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, meaning lead. Lead well, rule well, exercise oversight, not under compulsion. So good, beautiful leadership is not leaders that feel like they got to do this. I was dragging my feet in here tonight, (sighs) Wednesday night, got to do the preacher stuff. There we go. All right, open your Bibles. No, 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 no. Not under their compulsion, but willingly. That's beautiful. As God would have you, not for shameful gain. If If I'm doing this for the money, that's not beautiful. But eagerly, and here's the one I want us to see. Not domineering over those in your charge. So do you want a pastor who's going to get results and fill a room and do a ton of ministries and a ton of social work at the expense of stepping on people around him? Iron fisting leadership. Personal community, finance community, hurry up. What's going on? Domineering, micromanaging. I'm sure a lot of us in the room have experienced the type of leadership, right? Maybe in the church, maybe not in the church. You have bosses, managers, parents. Domineer. I see the chuckles. But I also see the stoic faces because it's painful, right? Leaves a scar. This is not ruling well. 
This is the type of elder that is not to be considered worthy of double honor. But also, back to the text in Timothy. This is a, te- this is a the, those who lead well, and here's the point. I didn't give you the first point. Let us care for our elders who care well for our souls by laboring in the first one is leading. Three points tonight. It's easy. It's going to be this, but they care for by laboring and leading and then preaching and then teaching. Okay? But I want to draw this out for us to see that to be a leader, we're not even talking about preaching, what I'm doing right now. Or teaching, what I'm doing right now. Just to lead a people is hard work. And the elders who do that well, not doing it themselves, not domineering, those are the ones that are to be considered. Last thing I want us to point out of what a beautiful leadership is, the best beautiful type of leadership is leaders that lead in such a way that those who follow them are led to Christ. Ruling well leads people to Christ. I love this story in John 1. John the Baptist was a good leader. Verse 29, I'll read it for you. It says, the day he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he had his boys with him, the disciples. Came back a second day. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what happens at the end of that day? It says this. The two disciples who are with John, they went with Jesus. That's good leadership. Good leadership is this. They came to hear John. They went home with Jesus. If I'm going to rule well at New Water Baptist Church, I want to rule in such a way that whoever might come might come to hear through Chris or through whoever. But we go home with Jesus. You go home with Christ, the great leader. That's good leadership. That's beautiful leadership. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me, the leader, as I am of Christ. The best leaders, the most beautiful leaders, are the, are the people in your life that if you follow them for a little bit, you're actually more in love with Christ because of that. I loved hearing that mm, in the church tonight. You know what's crazy is, in that sense, all of us are leaders. We all lead each other to Christ. That's discipleship. And the pastor who's worthy of double honor, he's the one who's ruling so well, leading so beautifully, that he's, he's actually shepherding people to the good shepherd i got to move on from this, but I could talk about this all night because I aspire for it. 2 Samuel 23, David at the end of his life, who is a really good, gifted, godly leader, he led with skillful hands and integrity of heart. This is what he says before he dies. The one who rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, this is how he describes him. He dawns on them like the morning light. Like the sun shining forth on a cloud this morning. You know those days? Any Dawn Patrol surfers in the house? Just Trevor? Okay. Because I don't wake up at that hour anymore. Maybe Calais. Maybe Calais surfs Dawn Patrol. I've never gone Dawn Patrol surfing in a long time or golfing or any of that. I'm trying to sleep as long as I can. But I know that at dawn it's beautiful. <laughs> I've seen it before. You know that mor- You know those crystal clear mornings? There's dew on the grass. The freshness of the air. And in Hawaii, we get it so well. You ever wake up to a morning like that? Sun is shining. Birds are singing. Flowers are blooming. This is what David uses to describe. That's what good leadership looks like. It's beautiful. And for those who are under such kind of leadership. Oh. That's why I can't wait for King Jesus to come. Because we live in a world of fallen leadership. In the home, in the communities, in the government, 
in nations. Nobody rules well like King Jesus. So when we sing, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying rule over us, reign over us. We want your leadership. And the local church is to be an outpost of that kind of leadership. So the pastors are to be the men who are to embody, and we will fall short. But because of Christ in us, because the church knows how to pray for us and support us and root for us and hold us accountable, like Tucker said in the next text. We'll have days like this. We're going to wake up and we're going to be happy to be here. So, care well for the elders who rule well, who care well for us by laboring and leading. Let's see if we can do another. So think about that now, just practically for our church. Because our church is in the, in the season right now, we're actually talking about this kind of stuff. We're, we're working on our bylaws. If you're a member of this church, you can see very well how much we pay our pastors and what policies we have in place to care for our pastors. This is not about me. This is about God, his glory, the pastor, and everyone after us. Will we be a church that desires good leadership like that and will do everything we can to support that, double honor that, because we see that that type of labor is tough. I pray so. And then Paul shifts, he says, especially those who labor in preaching, and I'm going to put these two points together, and teaching. Preaching and teaching, especially Malista, chiefly, most of all. This is super important, Paul says. First, he says, it's labor. That's just a big word. We have Jerish in the house who's going to be going into labor. It's, it's that kind of picture. Labor with wearisome effort. You get tired over this work. And I had, when I read this, I wrote in my Bible, so true. It's hard. I've had so many people come to me like, do you just whip that up? How do you do that? Like, are you serious? I could not just whip anything up. It takes, it takes a long time for me to read a single word. This is hard work. I call it in my house, my wife knows this, I call it preaching sickness. I get sick anytime I got to preach. Whether it's to, to, to five kids or 500 people. It don't matter. If it's the word of God that I'm carrying in my soul, I feel sick. I gag on the way to Wednesdays. Like, ah, ah. It's, I know, my wife laughs at me too. Go ahead. I'm like in the living room all of a sudden, ah. And she's like, oh, preaching sickness. You know, she's just used to it. And, and again, I it just, that's not the only kind of labor, but I just want us to see that this is a hard, heavy work. I mean, preaching, it's proclaiming, preaching and teaching, the difference. Preaching is proclamation. Teaching is explanation. All right? And it's the word of God. Not my words, it's God's word. So it's taking a king's message and delivering it to people. How crazy scary is that? Preaching and teaching, you know the difference? Let me preach at you a little bit. Vegetables are so good for your health. Did God not create Adam and Eve and put them in the garden where there's vegetables? Pure, luscious vegetables are good. And if you eat it, you will be stronger. But the problem is, from cakey time, none of us prefer the vegetable. If I put beets and brownies, what would you naturally want? What would my children choose? Not the beet. The brownie. So, we have a problem. You don't want to eat your veggies. You'd rather go to the drive-thru. But I'm telling you, eat your vegetables. You see, that, that's preaching. I'm proclaiming. You see that? Now, if I were to teach... I would explain why you can try to make 
that number two value meal look healthier. <laughs> you can add a little green. You know, all the fast food restaurants on Cam Highway right by my house, they had renovations. So I went in, and I'm sitting there over my Whopper and fries, and it's like rustic feeling. Everything is wood and green decor. decor and it fe- I feel like this meal is more fresh. I'm just like, this is, am I even at Burger King? And I'm about to eat this thing, and I think in my brain, this is healthier. But no matter how, like, that's still just as bad as it was last week, right? Like, like and, and I think this is important for us to understand the difference between preaching and teaching and what is good preaching and good teaching. Because the elders who rule well, one of the ways they're going to rule the best and the beautiful is they're going to labor in good biblical preaching, proclamation of the word. The next book, 2 Timothy. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the Bible. I preach to you about vegetables, right? But, but understand this is about preaching. Why it's so different than teaching is preaching declares something and it calls the heart and the will to do something. You notice when I told you, eat your vegetables? It's like some of us were convicted tonight. Like, oh, I know. I never eat vegetables all the time. Right? That's what preaching does. Teaching buttresses that and then explains why it, it, it tries to convince you with information and facts. You really need to eat your vegetables. Look at the statistics of your health. Like that's what good Bible preaching and teaching does. So when we think of preaching and teaching and elders who do that, guys, we have to really try to think, think well that good caring for elders who care well for our souls by laboring and preaching and teaching, this is so important. The reason why it's worthy of double honor is because this. If I go back to the food illustration, because preaching and teaching is like in the food. This is Jesus' teaching. Who here cares about the food you eat? Good, good, Tani. I'm thankful just you do care. What did you eat today? You know, who, who's, who's conscious of the food they eat and it's important what you eat? Now, don't answer that, but I'm sure your health will reflect that, right? If you eat healthy, your body will be healthier. If you don't eat healthy, your body will be weaker. So, if Jesus says in John 21, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If the word of God is like bread and food, who in here cares about the soul food you eat? Yes, we should. This is why it's worthy of double honor. And it's important we assess the men who bring this stuff to us. And especially even the men and women who teach our children. I do not want to be a part of a pastoral team that is content to feed fast food messages to the congregation for a long time. I labor hard to give a good dish. Pastoral ministry is like a call to being the manager and the cook and the waiter all at the same time. So when you walk in here on a Wednesday night and I see that you're tired. The, pay, the paycheck I get, the double honor I receive, is so that I can give my whole life to doing what you don't have the time to do. Because I know you want it just like me. You love Jesus just like me. You want to learn this big, thick book just like me. But the pastor is called to dig into the study, to dig in hard, to do the hard, heavy work of ripping apart verses and wrestling it with his soul and looking at stuff and being confused by stuff and reading too many books that his head hurts, falling on his knees, middle of the night, praying for the Lord to speak and make it clear because someone's coming Wednesday night. They had a long work day and they're exhausted, but their soul needs food. So I'm a labor to feed the sheep. Why? Peter, do you love me? Preaching and teaching, it's a labor of love. My wife said, every sermon you write, it's like you write an essay every week. And I said, yeah, that's kind of true. And then I also thought, it's like an essay and a love letter. And the labor pains. I'm not a woman. I will never understand what you go through. But in my mind, 
I feel like this is the closest thing a man could come to childbirth. And after I deliver tonight, I'm going to go get in my truck, wake up tomorrow morning, and I'm pregnant again. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I'm a pie. Oh, my due date is next week. Oh, I grief. You know, that's what it feels like. It totally, so even when other churches say, hey, you know, would you like to come and speak? It's like, of course I would love to, but I understand the cost. It's like, I just got, an, I got twins now. I got twins. And if I got to preach, I got triplets. And then and it's this big labor, and then finally like, ah. Oh. Right? And these are just like snippets of like, I, I want us as a church family to kind of get better pictures of this, to understand the importance of it, so that when it comes to the time to consider the elders, because not all elders are going to be called to laboring in preaching and teaching in this way. And that's okay. But those who especially labor like this, I'm like letting you in on the journals of a preacher right now, in my, my experience. But they are to be considered. And every church family has got to discern what double honor prudently looks like for that pastor. And God be with us. But I just want us to kind of get a taste, a better grip, and a better handle. You know, preaching and teaching, teaching, explanation, it comes in various forms. It's not just teaching like this in a formal setting, Acts 20. It could be public or in house to house. So pastors who teach, they, they have small groups. They, pastors who get together with you and they have those one-on-one -on -one lunches and you went into that meeting and all of a sudden you left that lunch like, wow, I really get it now. Thanks be to God, I'm closer to Jesus. That's the type of pastor you want to consider well. Is he being cared for? How's his family? Should he be paid? Part-time, full-time, I don't know. And then to wrap it up, thanks be to God, we can get through it. For the scripture says. So those points on the preaching and teaching is the same as the first. Let us care for the elders who care well for our souls by laboring and preaching. The second one, laboring through teaching. And this is why Paul's reasoning. For the scripture says. That's just a good enough reason. Because the Bible says. We care for our elders who labor to deliver God's word because the word of God says. God's word says. That should be enough for us to do anything. But then he quotes the scripture. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And we talked about this, right? In observation, the ox is working hard. And in those times, Deuteronomy 25, Israel said, don't muzzle it because men would think if we muzzle that ox, he'll do the work, but we got more grain. We can milk it out of this ox. We can get more profit from this guy if we just muzzle this, this, this beast. Muzzle him. And God is saying, no. That's not right. It's not wise. This wisdom he's trying to give us is long term. Let the ox eat so it can keep doing the work. That's why I love that in our church, we have a pastor, Pastor Bob, who sat this ox down after two years of working here and said, brother, why aren't you taking your vacation? And I wanted, must confess, I was so used to running without a vacation. Brother, rest. Take a break. Eat some grain. Oh. So should I just use all 39 days of mine? Then? No, 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 no. Just, just start using it. You know? But... Notice the wisdom here. This is wisdom for long-term work. Elders especially who are going to be leading, preaching, and teaching kind of for a long-term duration. These are the types of elders we want to think we should really consider paying these guys. And family, we got to talk about this. I came from a ministry background where it was so shame, shame, hush, hush to talk about paychecks with the ministers. I felt like I couldn't even talk about money in the church that I used to serve at. I'd be in trouble. Are you trying to be a charlatan? That's what I felt like. That's why this is a big deal for me preaching this tonight. For me. We care well for the elders who labor to deliver God's word because God's word says this is wisdom for long-term work. And lastly, 
because we greatly value the ministry of the word. I mean, think about it. The way a church cares for the pastors who are going to be primarily called to bring in the word, it shows how much they care about the word. Right? It shows. It's a reflection of how much we esteem the word of God. So I am so grateful that we have a church family who I believe is highly esteems the word of God. And if there are going to be brothers who are going to be bringing that, I believe we have a church family who really cares about the word, so let's care about the brother who's going to bring the word. Connecting the dots? Because then there's the question, or do we not care about the word? So we muzzle. Do we not really care about the quality of preaching? Do we not even know what quality preaching is? These are things we need to talk about, think about. There's more to be said. But if we care about the soul food we eat, the soul food our children are going to eat, the brothers who are going to be preaching to my children's children in this church, Lord willing, then we need to care about this verse. And we need to care about the pastors who are here now and for the future. Because none of us here want junk food. I hope you don't come Wednesday night because you know that I'm going to just give you junk food. I'm going to give you something you could have just downloaded. A devotional thought you could have just read in a book. I'm going to give you food, vegetables, and meat, and rice, and maybe even a cupcake. And I'll try to season it as best as I can. Forgive me when I don't season it so well. I know recently my messages haven't been as seasoned. But I love that you guys will eat anyway. Because you love the word. Name tag's not enough. We don't want elders just to be called elders. We want them to rule well, lead well, preach well, teach well. I labor in love every week thinking of you. I'm going to land this plane. I really do. I pray that all preachers and teachers in New Orleans Baptist Church will work hard. I love it. Brandon's going to bring the word next month at prayer week. And he was like, can I run up to your study and just dig through your books? And he's a month out. And he's musing over it already. I love that. I love that. I love that all the brothers that preach so far, like Gabe and Victor and Kaleo out of prayer week, all of them, when we reassess after, we're like, that was so hard. It was hard on the emotions, the mind, the body. And I'm all thinking, yeah. That'd be weird if, oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> Maybe you're not preaching and teaching. No, no, no. But, but, but I love that. It, it, it's a labor of love. And so I just do want to say thank you guys for not just showing up, but loving Jesus. Loving the gospel. Loving the word. Remember, I mean, the, the, the elder that we are going to consider well is the elder who is going to do give his life to being a faithful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will come week in and week out and proclaim and explain the great mysteries of the righteous one, the, the one true God. And the hard truths, like we are all fallen and sinners. And we got no chance on our own. And they will preach and teach, but Christ came. And stood in our place. He is our atonement. And they will preach and explain again and again from book to book. That you and I must repent and keep trusting in Jesus. That message is still true tonight, you know. Wherever we're at. Trust him. Throw your life on him. And you will be saved. He will care for you. And so... In closing, I pray that God would make us a church that cares well for the pastorate. That we would raise up other preachers and teachers who tremble at God's word here. Who love laboring and love to feed the sheep. And that we'll pay them to the degree that they're deserving. I pray that we all be convinced in our heart of hearts that by his word, that pastors who lead like this are considered worthy of double honor. 
Father, may we at New Uwana Baptist Church be a witness to the world by showcasing a beautiful love and support for our leaders. We live in a world where the relationship between company leadership and employees is strained. The relationships between government leaders and its citizens are jaded. We live in a world that is filled with slander and gossip towards leadership and authority. May we at Newton Baptist Church be a church that strangely shines bright in this. A peculiar place that where members speak highly and respectfully of their elders because they're worthy of it. And as the gospel continues to shape the way we submit and support and pay our pastors who labor in love, when the world, when our friends and families visit this place, and they come into this holy congregation, may they be awestruck and say, surely God is in this place. i never seen such leadership. i never seen such care. And I've never seen such honor do that here in this place. I love my brothers and sisters here so much. I know I don't deserve to share a single sermon or a scripture with them. But here we are. Here we are. You are the good shepherd, King Jesus. Lead us. Rule over us and keep preaching and teaching our souls, for we so need it. Continue to make these things a reality and manifest yourself in these ways. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's an honor. We should consider it and see it as an honor to be able to provide for our elders. Who puts the food on our table? God does. Who puts the roof over our head? God does. Who put the pastors here at NBC? God. Amen. So it is our honor to be able to do God's work in that way. God. Amen. Go in his peace. Let us care for one another. Amen.